Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about soil organic matter. We often get requests from farmers who aren't just raising corn, soybeans, or wheat to talk about something that affects their crops. Uh, we also talk to a lot of people who raise organic produced organically produced crops and they say hey give us something that uh, that can help us all right so i don't care how you farm where you farm how many acres or how big your garden is or anything else this absolutely impacts you and it's soil organic matter so today on the show we want to talk just a little about what is it how do you increase it or decrease it and why is it so important for your soil Uh, Let me start you with one thing that unfortunately does not get talked about, in our opinion, nearly enough. When soil organic matter breaks down, they'll call it mineralization. Okay, When soil organic mineralizes in soil, it releases nutrients. Now, I'm sure if you are a soybean producer, for example, you have heard, oh, after you raise soybeans, you have to give your next crop a soybean credit for nitrogen. Okay, that's made up garbage. There's, there is no such thing as a soybean credit for nitrogen. Soybeans don't just magically leave a million pounds of uh, nitrogen in the soil. So a lot of people, like when I was growing up, they'd say, well, you got 40 bushel beans, you should have 40 pounds of nitrogen left. You know what? We've tested our soil. Sometimes we do find 40. Other times we find 10. Sometimes we find 100. So the 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 nitrogen credit thing is completely made up it's 100% fictional that's not true don't ever follow that if you want to be accurate anyway now how you can be accurate number 1 with nitrogen is you got to test your soil but number 2 it comes down to this organic matter thing that i'm talking about here soil organic matter releases nitrogen over the course of a growing season so for example Our frost comes out for us usually, let's call it the early part of April, and then our ground freezes up, let's call it the middle of November. So during that time, from early April to mid-November, organic matter matter is mineralizing because the soil temperature is above 32 degrees. When it is mineralizing, it's going to release some nitrogen throughout the season. Now, we can say, oh, it releases it for the crop. Look, it's just flat out releasing it, okay? So if you have a crop growing there, great. If you don't, you're going to have a whole bunch of extra nitrate in the ground. And sometimes people have wondered, well, why, when there's no crop growing, how could nitrate possibly end up in soil water? Well, how it ends up in soil water is because it's mineralizing out of that organic matter. So that's why it's nice to have something growing all throughout the course of that, that growing season. Anyway, in our area, we farm in southeast South Dakota. So it's right by where Minnesota, Iowa, and South Dakota all meet, uh, just north of Sioux Falls. Anyway, we figure usually 20 pounds of nitrogen will come available for every 1% of organic matter we have. So some of our ground has 5% organic matter. A lot of it has 3 to 4, but a little bit has 5. If I have 5% organic matter times 20, that's 100 pounds of nitrogen. 100 pounds of nitrogen that's going to come available during the course of that next season all the way from April through November for us. Okay, And 
sometimes we have as much as 30 pounds. So in other words, that'd be 150 free pounds of nitrogen. So if you aren't figuring that in your calculations somewhere, somehow, that can get you into trouble and you might be, well, not trouble as much as you're just overspending on nitrogen. I'm not saying everybody's overspending on nitrogen. I'm simply saying we have to look at organic matter and almost nobody talks about this and it's enormous. When the organic matter mineralizes, it not only releases nitrogen, it also releases some phosphate. We usually in our area figure four to seven pounds for each 1% of organic matter. And then sulfur, we figure two to three pounds for every 1% of organic matter. So anyway, those are really big things, but we'll talk about more important stuff with organic matter and how you can increase it or decrease it on your farm as we go throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian. Uh, first one comes from Scott down in Texas. He said, we've got some early regrowth happening on some mesquite that we're trying to kill. And we had been using some remedy, but wondering, could we possibly mix the new 2,4-D choline with the remedy? Or would there be any issue with that? That's a good question, Scott. You know, when you think about killing off woody species, generally I'm running straight remedy. That would be my choice. But could you mix a 2,4-D choline in there to broaden out the spectrum and kill some other things that are out there? I don't know if it's necessarily going to help on killing the mesquite. But if you had some other weeds out there, I can uh, understand why you'd want to do that. We see so many premixes with Milestone and Tordon a lot of times with a 240 choline or the new RIN score or something like that. So lots of choices you can make. So it'd be like faster burners with more broad spectrum um, activity. I don't know if there's specifically a label saying that you can mix something like a Freelex with Remedy, but do you see any reason why that wouldn't work, Brian? No, of course not. No, it'd be just fine. All right. Well, there you go. Well, thanks for the question, Scott. Good luck uh, killing that regrowth on the mesquite. That would be a nice thing to get done. Got this one from Tommy, and he said, I, I know you mix AMS with Roundup in your field, but I'm wondering about you know, just in a small sprayer. I've got a yard that's 2,500 square feet that needs to get killed off. Just wondering if I could mix AMS in a small sprayer or if you'd worry about mixing and circulation in the tank and those types of things that might cause problems. Uh, yeah, I probably would worry about that. So I might just use a liquid water conditioner and call it good if it was me. The control won't be quite as good as having ammonium sulfate in there, but then I also don't have to worry about the fact that I have no agitation, and if I don't properly agitate, it might plug my screens uh, or plug my tips. So I don't know. I, I just... I, I struggle with that. We've had that question for years. Yeah, if it's me, I'm probably just going to get a liquid water conditioner. Oh, and by the way, Darren, on your last question, there is Vassland, too, that's uh, uh, triclopyr choline. You mentioned uh, the 2,4-D choline, but uh, Vassland, too, would be a little bit better than Remedy Ultra. That's the straight triclopyr. Just throwing that out there. All right, thanks for the questions. We'll get right back with our discussion after this. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures? heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. 
fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to get into a discussion on organic matter here in just a little bit. But I want to talk to Larry out in Iowa. We talked to him a couple of weeks ago, had a little bit of dicamba drift. If you can believe that on soybeans, I'm being a little sarcastic here because that was fairly widespread. But Larry had called in and, and uh, great to have a follow-up. Larry, good to talk to you again. Hey, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, what my report is today, you can't tell it unless awesome. you get down into the and get down into the old growth, and you can find some cups. They're knee high. Uh, we got an inch and a half of rain last week, so you oh, would not great. believe I'm talking about the same subject. Oh, thank goodness! The rain, the rain just really helps too. So, and we need more. <laughs> We're um, with you. A fungicide question yep. will be a hard one for you guys. If your budget only allowed you to spray your corn or spray your beans on about an equal number of acres, what would you do? That all depends on the area. So we've got people listening from all over North America right now. And let me just say, like for our area, once we get late, we've only seen corn fungicide pay twice. That was in the wet years of 2018 and 2019. Whereas in soybeans, it's paid almost every single year since we started running trials back in 2007. So for us in our area, I'd absolutely say soybeans. Now, when we start talking Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana, we've seen a lot more of some of the, the tough diseases in corn that we will typically get, gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, southern rust, things like that. And so if you've got a susceptible hybrid to any of those and you've had a history there, then we might say, you know what, spend your money on corn. Corn's worth five bucks a bushel and we don't want you to miss out on bushels. So, I, I mean, that's... 
it, it is, you're right. <laughs> this is a hard question because it really kind of depends on the operation and it certainly depends on the area and the diseases that are present. You, you, what do you think about seeing aphids and spider mites in August? Well, I'll just first say spraying for disease is always speculative. So if you spray, with, in order to control disease, you have to spray a fungicide in advance of seeing the problem. Whereas with aphids and mites, that you just look at it and you say, hey, do I have an economic threshold or not? And you keep scouting every week. And when you hit the economic threshold, you just brought up the budget question. Well, if I've hit an economic threshold, then I don't really care as much what my budget is. I've got to go spray because it's going to pay for me. And that's how I look at it. And we would say keep scouting all the way through uh, most of August. We have seen mid-August and even late-August springs for aphids and mites pay. Now, certainly it pays even better the earlier in the season that they show up. Uh, like on our farm, we actually sprayed all our beans for spider mites almost a month ago now. Now, it's turned cooler here and much more humid, so we haven't We've been scouting for mites in other fields around the area and haven't seen them lately. But, you know, we'll just we'll see what pops up here in late July and, and August. It's really hard to say. Did you catch any rain last week? Yes, we got an inch and a half of rain. It was, uh, let's see, a week ago Saturday, so it's already been nine days ago. And uh, let's see, then couple, three days later, we had, I'm going to say six or seven tenths, something like that. And it really has varied by the field. So we farm in about a 10 mile circle, let's call it. And, you know, from one end to the other, it's varied a lot. So some fields are getting nothing. Other fields are getting an inch. That's just the way this year's gone. Everything's been spotty. Well, the airplanes and helicopters started running this weekend, but they sure don't seem to be as pronounced if they've been in years past, and I can right. hear a helicopter right now off to the northeast, you know, running on corn. Yep. Yeah, and the reason um, why is just all because of this drought. You're suffering from the same thing that we are. We're also in the severe drought area, and when you have severe drought, you're much less likely to have disease issues. Well, I can't find much on my leaves, but I can sure find grasshoppers. Yep. And Japanese beetles are easy to find. Yep, I'm with you. There's a lot of grasshoppers. <laughs> yes, there are all, all over out. the northern hey. part of the United States and southern Canada. They're all hang, hanging out in the mowed waterways right now, but man, there's a lot of them. Yep. Now, you brought up a good point, though, uh, hanging out in the waterways and in the ditches, that is a big deal. As small grain's been getting cut in our area, then they start moving in waves into fields. And so what I've told guys for years is, you know what, you got to try to head those things off at the pass. If you spray your ditches, you spray your waterways, you just spray the end, a uh, couple passes in your field, sometimes you can get by with just spraying that, and you don't have to spray the whole field. But if you're not on top of it, then, yeah, it's going to be a disaster. But, uh, yeah, I I'm with you. I, I think I've seen more grasshoppers this year and any year since 2012. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you for right. taking my call. You bet. Thanks a lot for calling in, Larry. We appreciate it, and good luck down there. All right. All right. Goodbye. Thank you. Yep. All right. I mentioned we're talking about organic matter on our show today. Real happy to have Jake Monroe with us. He's with the Ontario Ministry of Ag. Uh, Jake, thanks for being there. Really appreciate it and, and excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, when when I look at organic matter levels where where we're farming, I know they're actually on the rise with a reduction in tillage. What are you seeing in Ontario? Are organic matter levels on the rise? Are they steady or are they heading down? 
Well, we've got, I'd say, more anecdotal information. Uh, we don't we don't uh, go out and sample every year, but we do are fortunate to have you know, some of the laboratories provide their information to us. And historically, you know, what we've seen over the past uh, decade, decade and a half is is a gradual decline in organic matter levels. And that varies by county, varies by region within within the province of Ontario. But yeah, we are certainly, I would say, generally trend, uh, trending downward. You know, there are a lot of different things happening in agriculture right now. And we, we hear about cover crops in uh, a, a lot of the United States uh, growing areas. What about in Ontario? Are cover crops something that growers are looking at or considering? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say cover crops is, is one of the hot topics and, you know, has been for the last number of years. And again, anecdotally, when I'm driving, you know, cross country through the province, we, every, you know, every summer after, particularly after our winter wheat harvest, we have give or take about a million acres of winter wheat each year. And I'm seeing more and more of those acres having some sort of cover crop. So yes, we definitely are seeing more and more interest in cover crops. Now, when, when, um, you see that change. Uh, I, I know farmers are using cover crops for a lot of different reasons. Do you do you talk to a lot of farmers, or do you talk to many agronomists in the area that are, are focused on this organic matter topic? Is that one of the things that that anybody's uh, uh, really paying a lot of attention to? Yeah, certainly. And so, yeah, organic matter for I I think it's probably when it comes to when it comes to soils and you know getting soils in better shape i'd say organic matter is probably you know the number one thing that would come out of most growers mouths um when they're talking about their overall goals or where they want to be in five ten years um they want to address that organic matter and and yeah you touched on it for sure cover crops is one of those tools um for sure that growers are looking at to to address organic matter levels to they either you know stop that decline that I mentioned, or in a lot of cases with growers who've been managing their cells really well over the years, you know, start moving start moving those levels upward. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of fantastic growers in Ontario. We get a, a number of different farmers that that we talk to quite often and and consult on soil tests and those types of things. We know there's a lot of different crops and and certainly. Uh, a lot of progressive farmers up there too. Do you see compost or manure as a part of this equation too? I know for, for our farm, that's something that we're trying to get as much manure as we can for, for each acre as often as we can. Do you, do you see the livestock industry up there growing? And is that something that growers are embracing as well? Yeah, we've, we've seen a, a tremendous interest in all different kinds of organic amendment products. Um, so compost, what we have, called anaerobic digestate in some parts of the province with, with digesters that are, uh, are running and basically processing all different kinds of materials. Um, manure, of course, is in, is in high demand, municipal compost. So, yeah, the list goes on. And, and from, what I, from what I have heard, you know, demand of all those products is strong. And, you know, there's just growing awareness around the benefits that, uh, that those products have for soils, not only in the short term in terms of their nutrient value, um, but you see it. Uh, you certainly see it in the long term um, and that's I think where it comes, comes to the cell fertility but also the organic matter buildup. Absolutely. We may have to have a further discussion on that anaerobic digestate. That's going to be an interesting topic coming up as well. We're talking with Jake Monroe here with Ontario Ministry of Ag. Jake, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks again. You bet. Talk more about organic matter coming up right after this. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. 
because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and talking about organic matter. It's one of the things that Brian and I talk about for our farm. It's one of our long-term goals that impacts our daily decisions that we make. Is this going to help us improve our organic matter levels? Is it going to uh, lead us towards taking a step backwards? We really want to make sure our soils are more productive going forward so we can continue to strive for higher yields. Another guy that's striving for higher yields is Dan Lipkus out in Illinois. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Hey, glad to be here. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Okay, talk to us about organic matter on your on your farm. Where are your organic matter levels at, and and are you shooting for a certain goal with them down the road? Well, um, I've got kind of a wide variety of soils, like a lot of guys have, I guess, but. The ones that we work the hardest on or try to change the most were some sands that were 
you know, when we started with them, we're in that one to one and a half percent organic matter, pretty poor. I would say, you know, when we would call our better soils up around three, three and a half in this area. Um, after 15 years of uh, cover crop, a pretty intensive cover crop on these certain fields, these sandier fields, um, and along with the addition of some manure, uh, we have increased that to, we basically doubled it to 3%. And that's that's a big stride. Oh, that's you know, huge. And it, yeah, and we've really, it's really made a difference in, in these uh, farms that we've done this too. So it's, 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 it's a needle that's really hard to move. It takes a long time. You can't, it's nothing you can go out and do, you know, just in a few years. But if you're committed to it, it can be moved. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of the things that we were just talking about, the decisions that we made in our 20s versus the decisions we'd make today. Uh, we weren't necessarily thinking long term as much, more thinking, man, I got to make sure that I'm profitable this year. And and now you get into this a little ways and you start thinking, OK, I want to make sure I'm profitable for the long term here and I want my soil to be better for the long term. So I may not see that huge change is one year, but I might see that big change, like you say, over a period of 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. That's awesome to to realize that at, at the end and see, wow, we are really making a difference here. So when you look at this going forward now, what are the next 15 years on this soil look like? And is there is there a top end? Have you seen like what a fence line is? Is the, is the fence line at 3% or is the fence line at 1.5% and you've just built something that never was there. It's so much better. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm always a, a believer in improvement, no matter what that baseline is or, or where you're at now. I mean, we continue to strive to, if we've improved of some, why can't I improve it a little more? I guess, you know, I, I would say, I think now probably exactly like, you know, you guys are, I, I'm sure in my younger days, it was, it was a matter of survival and it was year to year. And now when I look at things like changing our, our base saturations of calcium or, or potash or whatever, um, you know, we really, we really focus on the calcium a lot. Uh, sometimes it's kind of costly, but I'm not looking at it as a, a one-year or even a two- or three-year return. I'm looking at it as really a, more of a lifetime return on the soil. Um, I don't know how many years I got left in me, but I got a few yet, and I got a son that's farming and um I think it's I think it's money well spent. I may I may forego a new tractor and buy a bunch of calcium. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that's the right way to go about it. But it, I, I'm pretty committed to the soil. Uh, my my father told me that uh, you, you got to leave the land in better shape than you got it. And I don't know. It's just kind of the route I've taken. Yeah, absolutely. You see that next generation coming up and, and they get to benefit for a long time with some of these investments, which is certainly better than paying it off in taxes. I know that. Uh, and you know that the new tractor, though, Dan, every once in a while, I mean, every once in a while, you got to have a new tractor, too. Well, it's nice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're yeah. talk, talking to Dan Lipkus here, uh, who will be at our Ag PhD Field Day coming up in just a little over a week. Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate you joining us today. Look forward to seeing you here later this month yeah we'll see you there see you there you bet uh we've got steve coleman with us right now with ohio state university state soil fertility specialist there steve thanks for joining us yeah thanks for having me 
right, we're talking about organic matter levels, and we were just talking to Dan Lipkus over in Illinois, and he just talked about over a long period of time with decisions he's made all throughout his farming career, now he can see the, the long-term benefit of, uh, in his case, it was intensive cover crop management over a 15-year period, and, and that's really paying off. What are you seeing in Ohio with organic matter levels and some of the practices farmers are using trying to maintain or improve them? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it was a great story. Um, just thinking about, um, there's, of course, lots of things that we might do uh, in farming to, to improve organic matter levels. We've got some long-term no-till sites here that, you know, we've really found. Um, they, they've, they've been up for and running for almost 60 years now. And there's uh, different tillages and there's different crop rotations. And, you know, we all know and have known for a long time about tillage and, and losing organic matter. But one of the things I think that is interesting and really kind of emerging from these uh, long-term trials is that crop rotation, um, in particular, having a, a perennial, even for a short period of time in a, in a crop rotation, makes a big difference in terms of organic matter, the building of that. And I think that we can extend that you know, beyond just having perennials per se, but just thinking about roots in general and the role that roots play in building organic matter is a, is a, a pretty interesting story and something that we've been focusing on quite a bit here. That That is really impressive. Yeah, we, I agree with you 100% on that. And I love that we dig root pits occasionally and just look to see what's happening below the soil. It helps It helps me. I'm, I'm a visual learner. And when I see mm -hmm. that in the ground, I see, wow, look at that root system under uh, an alfalfa crop, for example, just taking an easy one. It's just massive. It's a huge amount of roots. Right. And, you know, just, uh, it, it, it's true. And it, it can be, you know, pick your plant or pick your crop. There's a lot of, of really interesting kind of structures and, and, you know, it's maybe obvious to some, but maybe for some, not so much, but, you know, obviously the, um, the primary source of organic matter really is plants, right. And, and, and not just plants themselves, but even the roots are the, you know, the, the things that kind of stick around the, the most. When you take and harvest a crop, the roots are going to be in the soil and uh, much more permanent, much more a longer source of carbon in that organic matter, much more so than the, than kind of the, the above ground part of that plant. So, you know, we, we know that, you know, kind of in simple terms, uh, building organic matter is a function of slowing how much is lost, but also in input, you know, increasing or diversifying kind of the input piece, right? How much carbon is going into that soil. And we know that the input piece is a really important part. Um, you know, both are important, of course, in terms of slowing the losses uh, via reduced tillage and conservation practices, but also, you know, the type of carbon and the the quantity of it. So the, you know, the diversity of the uh, carbon material that, you know, as plants, we increase our plant species that we're growing. We know we increase the, the, the diversity of substrate and carbon, carbon compounds going into that soil. And of course the, the entire like complementarity of those roots, um, when we have multiple species, you know, at a time, which we often do in kind of a perennial perennial system. So anyways, yeah, it's, it is, it's a, it's a, <laughs> 
fun thing to ponder anyways yeah yeah it sure is and you kind of get into a whole bunch of soil health related uh topics there and that's really for us mm -hmm. we just want to have a great home for all the microbes in our soil yeah i mean you know it's we we talk about <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff that goes on below ground that we really don't understand or even have a, a good sense or even capable of managing but you know, providing exactly, as you said, a house or a home or even, a, a, you know, a food source for those microbes really, um, really is a, is a, an important point. And what oh, we found and, yeah, oh, and oh, I was just going to say, Steve, yeah, it's, it's huge. And when we think about uh, just doing a little bit of digging out there, we don't necessarily see all those living organisms in our soil, but our soil is alive. And, and that's part of the reason we're talking about building organic matter on today's show. Hey, Steve, we got to run. Really appreciate what you're working on there at Ohio State and look forward to talking to you again down the road. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. 
Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking about soil organic matter. If you've got any questions for us, you can certainly give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com is our email address. Okay, so talking about organic matter, why is it important? I'll just give you the, the few quick points that I always think about when talking about organic matter. One, it improves soil structure and tilth. Two, it reduces compaction and increases oxygen or air levels in the soil, and that's incredibly huge. Number three, it helps hold soil in place, and it reduces erosion potential. Number four, it helps filter contaminants as water moves through the soil. People are talking all the time about, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're worried about clean water and everything else. Well, if you're worried about clean water, you want more organic matter in your soil, period. Number five, it improves microbial activity. That's soil life or soil health. More organic matter. I I mean, I can tell you, okay, let me step back for a second. There are some soil health tests that are out there, and I'm not saying anything bad against the soil health tests, okay? Don't get me wrong. But if you want to run a Haney test or, you know, any of those soil health tests, you can certainly do that and spend the money. But I can look at your regular soil test. As long as I've got all the pertinent things in there, so it's a complete soil test, I can just look at your regular soil test, and I can tell you whether or not your soil is healthy. One of the key things I'm looking for, soil organic matter levels. If you've got 1%, you're not going to have nearly as healthy a soil as if you have 5%. Number six, having more organic matter allows soils to warm more quickly in the spring. In the northern United States and up in Canada, that's a big deal. Seven. Organic matter can hold approximately three times as many nutrients as clay. So very commonly when we were growing up, we talk about the soil differences in the fields we had. And, oh, this is a good field. has lots of clay. And this one has, uh, you know, more sand and it's not as good. I get that. And you're not going to be able to change how much clay and how much sand you have in the soil. But what you can change is soil organic matter. And when you do... Keep in mind that organic matter can hold approximately three times as many nutrients as clay. And then finally, organic matter can actually hold some anions. Things that we say leach, you know, Darren and I talk all the time about nitrate, sulfate, boron, leachables. Uh, Guess what? Organic matter can hold those. I'm not going to say it's going to hold them perfectly, but it can hold them way better than clay can. I talked earlier about how nitrogen, phosphate, and sulfur come out of the organic matter each and every year as it is mineralized. But what I didn't tell you is for every 1% of soil organic matter, so in other words, if you have a 1% increase in soil organic matter in the soil, the average soil can hold approximately 4% more water. So let's say, uh, let's see, we were talking to Dan Lipkus earlier, and he said that over the last, I think he said 15 or 20 years, uh, that he has been able to increase his soil organic matter by roughly 1.5%. That means that his soil can now hold 6% more water. Now, 6% may not seem like a big deal to you, and I know it doesn't to me, but in a drought year like we're suffering right now, would 6% more water help? It sure would. I don't know how many bushels it's going to add, but it would add bushels. 
So if you want to increase your soil's organic matter, here's how you do it. First thing, reduce your tillage. No-till or strip-till, but no-till especially, is a great way to increase your soil's organic matter. Two, plant high residue crops with lots of roots. So a lot of people talk about above ground residue and they see all the residue laying in the soil surface and they get all worried if you bale that up or anything else. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that doesn't contribute a little bit to soil organic matter because it does. But the main purpose of the above ground residue is to prevent soil erosion from wind or rain. It's below ground. It's the roots. That's where a lot of your soil's organic matter comes from. And the more you can leave those roots intact through either no-till or strip-till, the quicker you are going to be able to build soil organic matter. Now, let's say that you wanted to still do some tillage. So I'll go back over 20 years ago, Francis Childs, he was the first guy in the United States who was raising 400 bushel corn. Think about that. This is a long time ago. And he was also building his soil organic matter, and he was using a mini mulberry plow. But you know what? When you're raising 400 bushel corn and you're planting 44,000 plants per acre and you're getting the, the, the amount of tons of residue that he was um, <laughs> with the mini moldboard, and that's not completely flipping it. It was basically just standing the soil on end. Uh, he still had all kinds of residue there and he was still able to build soil organic matter. But again, a lot of the organic matter comes from roots, so leave those intact. And also, when we talk about planting crops with lots of roots, corn, for example has about five times the root mass of soybeans at its peak. Corn has five times the root mass of soybeans. You can build organic matter raising continuous soybeans. We talk to guys that do, but it's faster if you're raising continuous corn. Next thing, use manure or compost. Number four, use cover crops. Uh, Dan Lipkus mentioned that. And then finally, use some biological products like... Uh, in the past, we've been talking about quick roots. We've talked about decomp, microcycle, nutricycle. There are a whole bunch of biologicals out there that could potentially help you try some of those things out. But again, by far and away, number one is reduce your tillage. So anyway, with when, when you think about the opposite of that, how do you decrease your soil's organic matter? Well, unfortunately, in the United States, uh, if you go back to, let's call it the early 1900s when a lot of people were first plowing their fields, uh, soil organic matter levels decreased for decades on end. And the reason why? Tillage. Now, I, for both Darren and me, uh, we talked a lot to our grandpa who farmed some of the same ground that we farm today. Uh, let's see, he would have been born in 1912. So he lived through the Depression, farmed through the Depression, and and anyway, he talked so much about conserving soil. Because back then, you didn't have great planters. You didn't have herbicides to kill the weeds. You didn't have insecticides to kill the bugs. All they had was tillage. So they tilled and tilled and tilled and tilled and tilled. This is also why they, like for our grandpa, he put in terraces. He tried to farm in the contour. He did everything he could, but he was constantly fighting an uphill battle because he had to till in order to control weeds and insects and diseases and leave a good seed bed. Today, we don't have to do any of that. We have amazing planters. We have incredibly fantastic pesticides that are really safe to humans also in most cases. Uh, we have just great planting equipment to go along with uh, strip-till machines today. We have GPS so we can strip-till. I mean, it's, it's just amazing the advances we have today. So I certainly don't uh, blame 
people farming even 30, 40, 50 years ago because of the soil erosion that happened, what what else were you going to do? It was that or you weren't going to raise a crop. So I get it. But today we've got advancements. So we need to continue advancing as well. And if we want to increase soil organic matter, we got to look at some of these things. So th- this is also why we believe no-till and strip-till are getting so popular, why cover crops are getting so popular, because people are figuring out, you know what, organic matter is awesome. And I want more of it. Now, there's a limit to that. Okay, we Occasionally, we see some soil tests where it's 17% organic matter or 25% organic matter. Okay, now you're, you're talking peat soil or something like that, most likely. And you're, you're going to tie up nutrients. You're going to tie up herbicides. So for me, personally, I'd like 5% organic matter, maybe 7 And a lot of our soils, when Darren and I started farming them 15, 20 years ago, it was 2%, 25 Okay, so we're working on it. it. Takes time, but you absolutely can get there. And let me let me leave you with this: If you're serious about, hey, I want to leave my ground in better better shape for the next generation, soil organic matter is one of the most important things. Or building soil organic matter is one of the most important things you can do. And just as an example of that, if let's say you were to increase your soil organic matter levels during the decades that you farm. By 2%, 2%, so I'm not talking by 5% or anything else, but by 2%, let's say you did that over 30 or 40 years. Do you know what a difference that would make for that next generation? 2% more organic matter means 8% more water holding capacity. It means a release, like in our area, so I don't know about your area, but in our area, we're going to figure at least 40 more pounds of nitrogen we're going to get for free every year. We're going to get 8 more pounds of phosphate. We're going to get 4 more pounds of sulfur every year for free. So it's like putting money into this great big bank account and then hopefully that next generation gets to use that and they will. Plus they're going to have less compaction. They're just going to have better overall healthier soil. Building organic matter is unbelievably important. We're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. When it comes to weed control... Our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We have reached the Ag PhD mailbag time. I know we got into the mailbag a little earlier, but now we've got a number of questions we're going to try and get through between now and the end of the show, in addition to taking your phone calls at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, and I just noticed some more. Okay, I think I got it. All right, so uh, this first one's from Ty in Texas, and... So we've got a dry land farm, but we recently installed a 100-acre pivot, growing grain, sorghum, and, and cotton mainly, but I want to raise some really high-yielding corn on this pivot. We've got black calcareous clay loam soils that are three to six feet deep above a limestone bedrock. There's a good bit of limestone particles in the soil, so our CEC is in the upper 30s, and our base saturation of calcium is in the low 90s. Our pH is in the low 8s. Uh, the attached soil tests were taken prior to putting on 100 pounds of MAP. So we did get some more phosphorus out there. Uh, uh, just wondering about a number of things here. I hear you talking about loading up nutrients for corn. The chemical guys here say most of them will be tied up before you can use them. Want to know what you think about that? And then No, disagree. It depends on what kind of fertilizer you're using. But like for your MAP, I would have gone way, way, way more. Because what we're talking here is like five parts per million of phosphorus. I mean, that's just, it, it's, well, it's simply a little better. It's a little better on the Malik. True. And, and 14, that's, that's, 15. Yeah, good point. Right yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I see they're, that now. They're wrong about running the Bray P1 on that high pH ground. Yeah. Right. The, the Malik's more accurate. There. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely the Malik would be more accurate in that high pH ground. But yeah, even with the Malik, you're talking 15 or 20. On our farm, I like it to be 100 at least, you know, if I'm going for high yield corn. So, and Let's see, the 100 pounds of MAP you would have thrown out there, that would have given you roughly 52 pounds of phosphorus. So you divide that number by 2, you're at 26 is all. Um, oh, and sorry, that's 52 pounds of phosphate. So, yeah, i got to run the math. I'm sorry, I should have done this a little bit earlier. Uh, but if I do 52 divided by 2.6 divided by 2, uh, you know, I, I don't have a lot there. I've got... 
10 more parts per million, I just increase my soil test. It's, it, it's not, it's not enough. It's just not enough. And a big here, let me pull up the ag PhD fertilizer removal app real quick. So, Oh, did he happen to say yield? Did I miss it? Well, said, he said in that area, the irrigated guys are topping out around 200. Some of the drip tape guys have gotten up to 220. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, at 220, he's just, let's just say 220. Could... I need 112 pounds uh, that's for ju- just for the crop. So you take 112 and you divide that by 0.52 and that gives me 215 pounds of map. That's what the crop needs. And then let's not forget if let's say you were in a corn soybean rotation and you didn't want to fertilize your soybeans, you got to figure another 100 and whatever, 100, 150 pounds for the soybean year. So, yeah, I'd just say the phosphorus is really low. Sorry, go ahead. What, what else do you have? Oh, he was just wondering about the timing of when to put out these fertilizer products and then also if banding high rates of sulfur or ammonium sulfate or ammonium thiosulfate would help release some of the other yes. nutrients too. Yes, it would. Okay, so as far as the timing goes, um, you don't, I, I don't, I guess I don't really care all that much what your timing is on P and K because you got really heavy soil. 30, let's call it 35 CEC on average. So your your phosphorus and potassium aren't going anywhere. So I don't really care. You put them on whenever you want to with the sulfur of some sort. Okay. So let's, that's a good idea, but let me, I'm going to take this much further than, than where you're going. I think your calcium levels are in the nineties. You have really high calcium compared to everything else. You've got a couple ways to look at that. One, you could say, well, this is great. I got heavy soil and I'm in an area that, you know what, let's face it, doesn't get enough rainfall. So this allows me to maybe irrigate a little bit less or whenever I want to, because I got heavier soil. Okay. I get all that, but here's the thing. Your calcium to magnesium and calcium to potassium is out of whack. So you can either raise your K and magnesium, or you can try to lower your calcium. And there are ways to lower your calcium. What I would do if I wanted to lower my calcium is I'd put on a crazy amount of sulfur each and every year for probably, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, And my nitrogen would be mostly ammonium sulfate. My nitrogen source would be mostly ammonium sulfate. I'd use a little bit of elemental sulfur every year. I would, uh, you know, do anything I can, but I'm probably broadcasting a lot of that stuff. When you band, what I worry about is too much gets in the band and gets too close to the seed or to the very, very tiny roots. Nitrogen and sulfur, when they convert over to nitrate and sulfate, they're going to leach anyway. So I'm not that worried about them. If it was me, yeah, I might do some ammonium thiosulfate in the band. I might do a tiny little bit of some of the other stuff in the band. But my big amounts that I'm talking about, hundreds of pounds, then I'm probably broadcasting that with ammonium sulfate and some elemental sulfur. So that's what I would do. Uh, but you could try a little bit in the band and, and do maybe some just a few strips of higher rates and see kind of what you find out. If it's me, um, I'm probably putting on more potassium and I might even consider throwing a little magnesium on. And the other thing that we notice with these soil tests is your manganese levels are higher than your iron levels. And that is also usually problematic and yield limiting. So when you have lower iron than you do manganese, then if it's me, I'm going to fertilize with some iron. So I would look for some iron sulfate and I'd get it applied out there. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you got a few things to work on, but the good news here is, again, you've got heavy soil. You've got lots of calcium in that soil, so now you got to start working on some of those other things. Oh, and by the way, I just noticed this, Darren, sorry. Uh, he had one field here where he does have 4% base saturation yes. K, 600 well, parts per million of potassium. Because the calcium is so high, that's where we're going with this. We want you at at least 4% on the base saturation K, but your calcium is in the 6,000s, which means your potassium's got to be in the 600s to get you in, get yourself in ratio. Yeah, and I think adding that sulfur in at the same time you're trying to build your K will help uh, yes. grab onto some of that calcium so you got yes. some room to hook the K on there. Absolutely. That's, that's something we've talked with Neil Kinsey about, too, on the show. That's one of the reasons he says it's harder to build K in those high pH soils. Hey, thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. And if you got some follow-ups, just let us know. I uh, get this one from Aaron. He said, I'm sending you some pictures. I got a soybean field that went underwater after a four-plus-inch rain event and after being saturated several days in a row. All the leaves are full of mud. So I'm wondering, I know that mud is going to hurt me. I'm wondering, could I run my sprayer over there with... <laughs> 40 gallons of water in the highest pressure I can to knock some off to at least get the top leaves to clean. <laughs> you know, if those plants are still growing, the new growth will be clean. Yes. Yes. And that's what we've seen in the yes. past. And then yep. hopefully you catch a rain to wash the rest out because that will be, well, one inch rain. It's 27,000 gallons per right. acre. Right. Whole so, different deal. Yeah. So you're not going to wash a lot of that mud off, even with 40 gallons of water. You could sure try if you would like to, but leave some strips because I don't think it's going to make any difference yield wise for you. And we feel for you in this kind of situation. We've had the same type of thing happen before. In fact, we've lost some ground in September to a ri the river flooding us in September. It's almost never happened, but it has happened and totally destroyed the crop. Uh, so. I, I, let's put it this way. It could be worse. And we just have to be thankful that um, the beans are still there. They're still alive. And hopefully they come out of it and your yield didn't get hurt a lot. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, got this one from Jeremy. He said, I'm growing sweet sorghum. Basically, we clip off the the heads and we're harvesting the stalks and taking the, the sugar out of there. It's a product similar to, to a maple syrup kind of thing. Just wondering... Would gibberellic acid help me since my yield goal is to get bigger, juicier stocks and cane? Wondering what you think about jib. Also, do you know what nutrients I could use to help with my sweet sorghum production? Um, nobody here has really got a great idea on that. And then I'm just wondering if either of these things, nutrients or the jib, would change the taste or flavor of that syrup that we produce. Well, first of all, thanks for the question, Jeremy. First question that I can remember having on that particular topic. Uh, I look at what it takes to grow almost any crop, and it's the same types of things that we talk about all the time with our soil tests. We're looking for some base levels of fertility that we want to see in our soil. And if we get them up to the right levels, we can raise almost any crop. So that's what I would shoot for. As far as the gibberellic acid, I have no idea if that's going to increase what you want. I know that we do get Yeah, more we know it's labeled, growth. and yes, you will get elongated of that stem but yeah i don't know if it's going to help you in your situation and as far as the taste goes it's just balancing nutrients a lot of times if taste is bad micronutrient levels with one or another are not good so take a look at do a complete soil test and if you want us to look at that for you we'd be more than happy to yeah send us a soil send us a soil test from where you're growing this jeremy that'd be a great place to start thanks for the question and thanks to you for listening be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.